So, uh, so this week we're going to talk about um, the citizens of hope, finding hope in tough times. And this is actually the first sermon of the series, but last week we did the second sermon of the series. You got that? So we did the second one first and we're doing the first one second. It's kind of like that who's on first kind of thing. So, because, you know, so, so we're going to start off with this. So in, uh, in, in 1976, I went down to the island of Trinidad off the coast of Venezuela uh, to visit my sister for Christmas and flew down there. Uh, my parents had gone down a couple of weeks earlier and we're going to stay a couple of weeks later, but I was limited by my uh, uh, Christmas break from college. And so I was kind of on a different time schedule from them. And I, and I flew down there on British West Indies Airline, uh, affectionately known as Biwi. Uh, and uh, Biwi is kind of the, uh, uh, you know, passenger bus of the Caribbean. So, you know, you really haven't lived until you've gotten on a 707 and sat down and had a chicken in the seat next to you. <laughs> or, or goats in the aisles, you know. I mean, it's, it's okay. And, and it, it's a milk run. It goes from this place to this place and this place, and it stops all the way down. And the reason I flew Biwi was because, you know, college student, no money. It was cheap. You know, that's how, what I could afford to do. Uh, and so uh, I went down there on that, and then we were there for uh, Christmas and got ready to come home, and we're flying back home, and, and as we're coming up, the pilot gets on the intercom thing, and he announced that we're going to have uh, an unscheduled uh, stop. Uh, and so, okay, and, and so we land in Jamaica, and uh, after we land, these guys in camos and with machine guns get on the plane, and they escort us all off the plane into a room in the terminal there uh, where they held us for almost 24 hours. Uh, and when we actually left, uh, we got on a different plane. We have no idea where our luggage went. Uh, we got on a different plane and flew back into Miami where the State Department met us. Uh, but while we were sitting in there in this room, and we're all in there, uh, and these guys are standing at all the doorways with guns. Uh, we're, we're all kind of wondering, you know, what's going on. And somebody had a radio or a boom box or something in there, and they began to play a song. Uh, and um, I, I was going to play it for you on my iPod, but my iPod is bent, so it won't play. It won't hook up. So how do you bend an iPod? I don't know. Anyway, so, uh, so it went something like this. By the rivers of Babylon, where we knelt down, and there we wept when we remembered Zion. For the wicked carry us away, captivity require from us a song. How can we sing King Alpha's song in a strange land? So let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight over I. Y'all, anybody heard that before? Who recorded it? Jimmy Cliff recorded it in 1972. Jimmy Cliff wanted two artists in Jamaica to receive the order of men. And, and as they were playing that, and I'm sitting in that room listening to that, what I realized, remember, I'm still in college, what I realized is, hey, I think that comes out of the Bible. Uh, didn't know where, but I'm pretty sure it came out of the Bible. And I thought, okay, so if they're listening to a song that has words out of Scripture, maybe they're not going to kill us. And it was a moment of hope. Let's pray. 
Mighty God, we come to you this morning, and we live in the midst of turbulent times, and uh, some of us are in difficult places in life, and so we ask you to come and bring the light of your presence into the midst of us. Uh, may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Now, um, that song came out of the, the uh, it's kind of ska and reggae, which uh, came out of the, the Rastafarian movement in Jamaica. And if you're not familiar with that, uh, the, that was a group of folks in Jamaica who were claiming their, their ancestry uh, and their home uh, or their belonging to the African homelands from which their ancestors were taken in the slave trade. And so they were claiming back to that, that part of their identity uh, and claiming allegiance to the Rastafari, the, the supreme ruler uh, of Ethiopia, which at that time was Emperor Haile Selassie. And when they first started, they actually thought he was the second coming of Christ. But in all of the, if you listen to, uh, the, especially the early music that was brought out of that movement, if you listen to it, you'll hear a lot of Judeo-Christian language and imagery coming across uh, early on from them, uh, especially if you listen to uh, some of Jimmy's stuff or some of Bob Marley's music. Uh, and so they take this song and, and, and they craft it together to bring them hope in what they understand to be their time of exile. And they're reaching back to Psalm 137. Uh, which was a song crafted in the time of exile and reflecting um, the feelings and the experience of, of Israel while they were in Babylon. It's, it's one of the harshest pieces of scripture in the whole Bible. Uh, when the people of Israel are lifting up their voices and lamenting their captivity. You know, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion, which is uh, the mountain that Jerusalem is on. On the willows there we hung up our harps, for there our captors ask us for songs, and our tormentors ask us for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. It, it, it's hard to hear those kinds of words coming out of Scripture. Um, hard to understand until you remember that they're, they're written by people who have been taken captive, uh, who have watched their city destroyed and burned, and who have seen their children killed. And out of that place of, of pain and, and devastation, that uh, they're lashing out uh, and seeking vengeance against those who have brought so much pain on them. Now what's interesting is that what Jimmy Cliff did with that song is he, he actually took the first part of that where he talks about being in exile, and then he changed the last part. And so what he does is he, he talks about here we are and how can we sing God's song in a foreign land. And, and then he reaches over to Psalm 19 and he brings what should be a fairly familiar prayer to you because I use it almost every Sunday. Uh, where, where even in that place of devastation, instead of speaking those words of, of anger and bitterness and resentment and vengefulness, he says, even here, uh, may the words of my mouth and, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, God. Because even here, 
You're my rock and my redeemer. And instead of being this, this cry of outrage, it becomes this word of hope. that says, even here, even in this time, you're still our rock and our redeemer, and you, you still lift us up. When the people were in that place, the people of Israel were in Babylon, God spoke to them to bring them a word of hope through the prophet Isaiah, and he reminded them, you know, uh, now says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight and honored and I love you, I give people in return for you, nations, in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west, and I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. In Israel's mind, God dwelt in the temple in Jerusalem. And when the temple was destroyed and the city was sacked and burned and they were taken into exile, uh, they thought in Babylon that God had abandoned them, that they could no longer worship God, that God was far away from them. And into that, God speaks this word through the prophet Isaiah to say, even there, I am with you. You are still my people. I've gone there with you. I created you. I know you. I called you by name. And even in that place, I am still with you. It's a word of hope that was spoken to them in the midst of despair. When the early church was uh, walking through those early years of their history, the first 300 years when they were constantly facing persecution, uh, Paul would write to them, uh, to the church in Rome, and he would remind them that God was, was with them in the midst of that, right? Since we're justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. I mean, do you ever boast in your sufferings, right? Have you noticed that people don't usually do that? Most of the time, it's a, it's a different word we use when we talk about what we do when we're suffering. Uh, uh, you know, we, we complain, we moan and groan, we get upset, we get vengeful and angry. We sound more like Psalm 137 instead of Psalm 19. But Paul says, you know, even here, even in this time, God's love's been poured into us, and we find hope. You know, when I was getting ready to, to do this sermon and thinking about all this, what struck me as I thought about it is that, you know, if you start reading and talking to people, and you, and you read people across different periods of time, uh, pretty much always, pretty much always, people think that the time and the place they're in is messed up. And most of the time, they think it's like the worst ever. 
You know, so it, it doesn't really matter if you read somebody that wrote 100 years ago or 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago. They're going to write to you about how messed up the world is. And it doesn't really matter where you go in the world even now. Pretty much wherever you go, people will tell you, oh, yeah, this is, we have it much worse than everybody else does. Now, what I want you to hear really clearly is if you step back from that objectively, if you objectively step back and you look at history, and if you travel around the world and look at the different places in the world, the reality is we live in one of the best places on the face of the earth. And we live in one of the best times in history. And yet we sink into this place of, of, oh, woe is me, and everything's all messed up. And I wonder, why is it that we do that, but then I can go to places in the world where people really have it rough, where folks really are watching their children being killed and their families being slaughtered. And I can find hope there that people here don't have. I mean, it's this, this understanding somehow we, we lose it that, that God is with us. That we don't draw our hope from what is around us, but we draw hope from God's love being poured into us. Now, Paul's going to go on in this chapter. He's going to write words, and some of these are going to be familiar uh, because we use them as words of assurance after the confession. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we've been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more surely, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life. We have this thing that we do sometimes where we begin to think that if we don't have it all together, and if we're not perfect, that somehow or another, because of that, God doesn't love us anymore. You know, we get this call in Scripture, you know, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And somehow or another, we begin to think, well, okay, well, if I'm not perfect, if I don't have it all together, if I, if I don't really nail it, you know, then, then God doesn't care about me. If I have any faults or failings, God doesn't love me anymore. And, and, and then, then we begin to despair. So now let me ask you this. It's a, you know, the, here's Mother's Day weekend, and I'm, I'm thinking about parenting and all that. And you know, when, you, when your kids uh, started to learn to ride a bicycle, or if they're learning to ride a bicycle now, uh, and, and they get on the bike, you know, and you go alongside, and you kind of hold on to the seat, and you hold on to your kid, and go alongside of them for a while while they're trying to learn the, the balance and the pedaling and all that, and you let go of them, and, and almost every time, the first time you do that, what happens? They wobble and they go down, right? And so you go over and you help them up and you dust them off and you put them on there and you try again and they, they wobble and they go down. And, and, and you know, if they go through that several times at that session that evening and, and they never quite get it and they keep falling down um, and they come to you and say, oh, I'm tired, I don't want to try anymore. Do you say to them at that point, okay, well, you don't have to try anymore. You're a failure and I don't love you. Now, if you do, we need to talk, okay? Let's... <laughs> We, we have counselors that can help you with that. But, but, but well, we don't, what do we say? We say, it's okay. When I get home tomorrow, we'll try again. It's all right. You're going to get this. 
right? You encourage them, you lift them up in love because this is what we do. And this is what God is telling us through the scripture. You know, you're gonna fail, you're gonna fall down, you're gonna mess up. It's okay, I'm still with you. I'm gonna pick you up, we're gonna try again. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you in the last week of your life can say, oh, I, 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 I don't have any faults or failures. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't, I didn't, you know, everything I did was exactly what God wanted me to do, right? Yeah, okay, so like uh, in the last, uh, since Saturday morning, anybody would want to say, hey, I, I, everything I've done, I've done it just exactly the way since Saturday morning. I've done everything exactly the way God would want me to do it, right? Um, if you drove on 183, you can't raise your hand because I've been on 183. <laughs> I've seen you on 183. I know what you're telling those people. I can read lips. So how many of you this morning since you've gotten up can say, oh yeah, I'm perfect. I've done everything perfect so far today. I haven't made, right? I mean, this is who we are. This is the reality of scripture. That's why Paul says, listen, while you're still sinners, even when you're enemies of God, God still loves you. Don't you understand that? God calls you to be more than that. God is going to lift you up and God's going to encourage you and help to build you up. But, but God loves you. God has not abandoned you. God has not betrayed you. God has not turned God's back on you. And what you can't do on your own, God's love is going to work in you. You know, I'm, I'm old enough and been around long enough at this point in my life to realize that, you know what? Um, on my own, I am not going to overcome my family's dysfunctions. You know, on my own, I'm not going to overcome the addiction in my family. On my own, I'm not going to uh, overcome the, the meanness that sometimes happens and the pain that that causes. On my own, I'm not going to overcome the fact that sometimes I shoot my mouth off when I shouldn't. I, I've learned that. But God hasn't given up on me, and God's love is still working in me. And what I am unable to do, God is able to raise up. And that's where we find hope. Clayton Oliphant, who uh, wrote the book that this study is based on, tells a story in this book. He says, you know, he's driving around Dallas one day, which is where the church he, is, he serves at, and he's driving around there, and his daughter's in the car, his young daughter's in the car with him. And, uh, and, you know, Clayton's about my age, and so, you know, he's listening to the oldies station on the radio because that's what us old guys listen to, right? Uh, so he's listening to that, and he's going along, and as he's driving along, uh, a song from the Doobie Brothers come on, and some of you will remember this, right? Jesus is just all right with me. And he's telling his daughter, oh, this is a really cool song. I really love this when I was growing up. It was one of my favorite songs and all this kind of stuff. And she's rolling her eyes at him like our children do and, uh, and all that. But anyway, he shares that with her. And, and, and then he goes on about his day and he gets home that evening. He's forgotten about it by that point. But then he hears his daughter singing that tune. But she's singing these words. <laughs> yeah. And, and at first, he's going to go in and correct her. Oh, no, no, no. And then he thinks, no, no, that, that's okay, actually. That, you know, it's all right. That, that, that fits, doesn't it? You know, on those nights when your mind is worrying and your spirit's unsettled and all that, Jesus stays up with you all night, right? There's nothing wrong with that because God has told us, I mean, and Jesus says to us, I am with you always to the end of the age. Wherever you go, whatever happens, 
whatever's around you, I'm with you. And if that means you're up all night, he stays up all night with you. That's the way it is. Because God has created us, and God is with us, and God calls us by name in love. In the book, uh, Clayton and his sister Mary wrote this book together. Uh, they tell the story about Admiral Jim Stockman. Uh, he was a, a pilot in North Vietnam during the Vietnamese War. Uh, he was shot down, uh, spent eight years in the POW camp that was called the Hanoi Hilton. He was tortured over 20 times uh, during those eight years. Um, and because the, the pilots kind of had a special hatred directed at them, uh, he received none of the kind of normal prisoner rights and so forth that were given to people uh, in the POW, other POW camps. Um, and during that time, he says, uh, as he was being held there, he said the, the optimists, the optimists who were there were the first ones to go. Because the optimists would say, oh, you know, when Christmas comes, once Christmas gets here, on the other side of that, surely they'll arrange for my release. And then Christmas came and went, and they were still there. And they said, okay, well, when, when spring comes and Easter comes, they'll have arranged for my release, and spring and Easter would come, and they were still there. And they said, well, when summer comes, they'll arrange for my release, and summer would come, and they'd still be there. And they well, when Thanksgiving gets here, they'll have me out of here. Uh, and Thanksgiving would come and go, and they were still there. And eventually they give up and they die. And what he said was what's kind of come to be known now as the Stockman paradox is that you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. You have to be able to be in the midst of imprisonment, a place of exile, in the midst of the mess of the world, whatever it is, you have to be able to be there, but hold on to the faith that God has not forgotten you, and God is with you, and in the end, God wins. It's what gives us hope when we remember who we are and who we belong to. That no matter what we are in the midst of or what we are facing, whether it's out, out, outside of us or whether it's our own stuff, that God is with us and God's love rests upon us. This is what grace is. And God claims us. And God calls us by name. So even in the midst of the, the most difficult times, instead of lapsing into Psalm 137, into that vengefulness and that bitterness and that anger, Our prayer is, okay, God, even now, let the words of my mouth and, and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, because even now, you're my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we give you thanks that wherever we go, wherever we walk, whatever the time is, whatever we face in ourselves, in the world around us, that, that you are with us, that you safely take us through the floods, that you protect us from the flames, that you surround us in love, that you know us and call us by name. 
that on those nights when our minds are whirling and our spirits are unsettled, you do stay up with us all night. That you never leave us. So, Father, pour your love into us powerfully. So that instead of lapsing into the kind of vengefulness we see, the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts may remain acceptable to you. And even in the midst of times of trial, we can proclaim that you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen.